You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. More air is coming out of the tires tonight when it comes to BC's ride-sharing plan. The province has decided drivers will need a Class 4 or commercial license. Richard Zussman explains why that will likely be a deterrent to operators and what happens now. What ride-sharing looks like in this province could come down to what's in your wallet. The province announcing on Thursday that ride-sharing drivers will be required to have a Class 4 license. We have learned from what has happened elsewhere. We've also seen other jurisdictions that have Class 4 and there are uh, ride-hailing companies working in them. The Class 4 license requires drivers to score higher on the road test, go through medical tests and pay additional fees. Lyft, one of the largest companies in the world for ride-sharing, says that this will prevent good drivers from being on the road and could prevent them from entering the BC market. The government launches ride-sharing with these commercial licenses, class four licensing, it's going to be forcing people into a second rate service that won't meet the demand that is there right now. It is also, according to the provincial government, safer. I want to make sure that when people get in a vehicle that we have the safest possible uh, ground rules. When you look at numbers provided by ICBC, the differences on crash rates per 100 drivers aren't huge. Everybody has a Class 5 license, so you can go drive for two or four hours if you want. With a Class 4 license, you're going to stifle that. The province asking the Passenger Transportation Board to design the new regulations for an industry that it's expected to be operating by the end of this year. The province has ruled out Class 5 licenses, but is in support of eliminating regional boundaries, allowing cheaper fares than cabs currently have, and having no caps on fleet size. So let the consumers decide where, when and how much. And if we don't allow that to happen, then frankly we're just back to the taxi model. The regulations will be finalized next month. At that point, Lyft will make the final decision on whether to apply to operate in BC, a decision that will profoundly impact what ride-sharing looks like here when it finally hits the road. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with more on this. Keith, why has the NDP been dragging its feet on this? They certainly have been dragging their feet, uh, Sophie. So the Democrats I talked to raised a number of points, both uh, politically and philosophically or ideological. Uh, here's some of the factors I think go into why the NDP is taking its time here. First of all, the existing taxi industry has a disproportionate amount of political power. They are a formidable force, and particularly where they're located the most uh, strongly. That's the existing taxi industry, mostly uh, powerful in places like Burnaby and Surrey, which have, key, of course, have the key ridings that can literally determine the next election's outcome. As well, the ride-sharing industry itself is a classic, truly free market model, which is anything but NDP when you look at their economic policies. And finally, the NDP favors regulations, not deregulating things. They like to regulate uh, industries, set the rules, and again, ride-sharing likes to get rid of the rules. So that one rule that Richard focused on in his story, the need for uh, uh, Class 4 licenses, is the type of the very type of regulation that can actually uh, cause companies not to set up shop here, notably Lyft. So ride-sharing in name, is it truly ride-sharing when it comes into BC? That remains to be seen. All right, we continue the wait. Thank you, Keith. Yeah.
The federal government announcing another $10 million for the RCMP to fight money laundering. Canada's finance and justice ministers were in Vancouver today for a special meeting on how to tackle the crisis. Jill Bennett has more on how it's hoped the new funds will hold criminals accountable. The backdrop, some of the most expensive real estate in B.C., fitting for an announcement about how the entire country is going to continue cracking down on money laundering. Whether we're talking about real estate and the increasing prices and the speculation we've seen in the real estate market, uh, whether we're talking about the challenges of the opioid crisis, uh, money laundering has a personal impact on the people in British Columbia. Federal Finance Minister Bill Morneau and Organized Crime Reduction Minister Bill Blair met with their provincial counterparts in Vancouver to talk about ways to combat money laundering. They also gave a shout-out to B.C. for already taking steps to reduce the crime. Today I'm happy to announce an additional $10 million going to the RCMP so that we can coordinate to get the information and have the systems so that we get that ability to actually prosecute. It's really critically important. That money is in addition to the $160 million announced in the last budget. It will be directed to the RCMP for enforcement, something that has been flagged as a major issue in B.C. In April, the Peter German report revealed there were no RCMP officers in this province dedicated to investigate money laundering, despite findings of billions of dollars being laundered. We've got uh, uh, many, many unlicensed money services businesses, unregistered with FinTrack, that could be closed uh, tomorrow if there were police out there uh, that had the resources to be able to do that work. BC has already moved to create a registry to publish the names of landowners, preventing people from hiding behind trusts or numbered companies. It's something the federal ministers would like to see in other provinces. To get us to a place where we have a much better handle on who owns organizations and uh, to think about how we can best have that information available to law enforcement. There is no formal national strategy, but there is an agreement a coordinated front is crucial. Without it, criminals will simply move from province to province, finding ways to clean their dirty money. Jill Bennett, Global News. Delta Port Way remains closed at this hour following a deadly crash this morning. Two semis collided on the road around 10 a.m., causing one of them to burst into flames. Police say one truck had been traveling east at the time, the other west when the two collided. The coroner's service confirms one man died at the scene. Access to Delta Port has been cut off all day as investigators collected evidence. A Vancouver councillor's motion to ask the military to help foot the bill for events such as Remembrance Day goes before council tonight. Ben Isett introduced the amendment on D-Day, drawing both support and criticism. Kylie Stanton is in Victoria with more on tonight's vote and whether it will be needed now that a generous donor has stepped forward. Kylie. Yes, Council is meeting this hour here at Victoria City Hall, and that controversial motion is still on the agenda. But for many veterans, the damage has been done. This felt disrespected. It's been one week since the news broke, and it still stings. Really, really insulted that they would think about doing something like that on the 75th anniversary of D-Day. DND's budget is about $20 billion. Victoria City Councillor Ben Isaac introducing the amendment last Thursday, suggesting Veteran Affairs and the Department of National Defence would help pay for staging military events in the city, including Remembrance Day. Four other councillors supported Isaac's motion, but the backlash was harsh and quick. Then came the backpedaling. Yeah, I'm 
just deeply regretful of the impact. As for Isaac, he apologized for the unfortunate timing. But I won't apologize for standing up for the taxpayer. That's not good enough for April and his fellow shipmates. They're now boycotting the city, relocating the Royal Canadian Navy's 50th anniversary reunion. They disrespect us that much. Why should we put money into their hands? I do know that there are other groups out there that are feeling the same. To put things in context, Victoria spends a little more than $15,000 a year, or 0.0006% of its $245 million annual budget for military events. London Drugs President and Chief Operating Officer figures that's a small price to pay, and so the corporation is stepping up. So London Drugs has offered uh, to pay uh, for the next few years uh, to the city of Victoria any of their costs associated with putting on the Remembrance Day ceremony. So everyone can just focus on planning and, and uh, honouring the, the sacrifices of these veterans. That's a relief for April and his fellow veterans, but until they hear from Mayor and Council, the boycott still stands. Our ship's motto in the Terra Nova was do not falter, and that's the way most of us feel. Now, despite London drugs coming forward, the motion is still on the table tonight. But with some supporters having a change of heart since the controversy started, there's no telling which way things will go. Back to you, Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Kylie Stanton in Victoria for us. In Port Coquitlam this afternoon, RCMP moved in as homeless advocates vowed to set up a camp on city property. Protesters demanding social housing and drawing attention to what they call the Tri-Cities model of harassing homeless people. They marched to a lot beside the shelter on Gordon Avenue. There they announced intentions to set up a tent city. Soon after, RCMP arrived and gave the protesters 10 minutes to vacate the area. We spoke to the organizers and just informed them about the fact that uh, that it is trespassing and gave them an opportunity to uh, to depart without arrest and they, they spoke to their people and decided that uh, they would go that route. Many courts have found that homeless people's safety and security is increased by access to a common space where they can set up shelters on a 24-7 basis uh, and that means that this the question of whether the balance of, balance of convenience or the public interest is served ultimately by allowing homeless people to use publicly owned land for shelter or the private property rights of that public body which one is more important. Protesters say they're hoping for a meeting with the city to express their concerns. A new study suggests Canada's pot-impaired driving penalties may be too strict. Right now, drivers caught with low levels of THC in their system could face a $1,000 fine. But researchers at UBC have found no link between low levels of THC and crashes. Catherine Urquhart has more on the findings and the tipping points. If you smoke marijuana, don't get behind the wheel. That's been the message for years. But now a controversial new study suggests low levels of THC do not lead to more crashes. You know, we're, I am concerned. I'm concerned that it will send the wrong message. The UBC study, published in the journal Addiction, analyzed blood samples from more than 3,000 drivers admitted to BC trauma centres between 2010 and 2016. And what we found was that drivers with low THC levels, less than 5 nanograms per mil, really did not have an increased risk of causing the crash. They were the same as if they hadn't taken anything. 
drivers with higher THC levels above 5 nanograms per mil um, did have an increased risk, about a 74% increase. In Canada, a driver with THC levels between 2 and 5 nanograms per milliliter are liable for a fine up to $1,000. Someone with levels over 5 nanograms faces a minimum $1,000 fine and up to 10 years in prison. If you use cannabis, if you smoke pot, you shouldn't be driving, and that's the right message. But maybe it's a little bit strict, and maybe those levels could be relaxed a little bit, and we should be focusing on drivers above 5 nanograms per mil, the drivers at the higher level. Certainly right now, uh, you know, we in law enforcement believe that the more restrictive approach ensuring safety on our roads is paramount. Checked already? The study found that drugs such as cocaine, amphetamines and heroin increased risk of a crash by 82%. And drivers with a blood alcohol content above 0.08 were deemed to be six times as likely to be in a crash compared to someone who hadn't been drinking. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Right now, though, the uncertainty and fear in Hong Kong over legislation that would allow people to be extradited to mainland China to face charges is prompting speculation here that we could soon see a mass return of expats. Jordan Armstrong has more on how many Canadians are currently in Hong Kong and the potential impact an influx could have on B.C. It's the worst violence Hong Kong has seen in decades. Police squaring off with protesters, firing tear gas and rubber bullets to get the crowd of thousands to leave the streets. This ad is actually showing that they they did nothing. They don't care about our voices. Leaving Hong Kong altogether is an option Canadian expats might be considering. Come to Canada, come to safety. And they don't need permission, they don't need a visa, they get on a plane. Flights from Hong Kong to Vancouver are almost hourly. An estimated 300,000 Canadians live and work in Hong Kong, many with ties to B.C. Immigration lawyer Richard Curlin says a sudden surge of expats returning home would have a big impact on B.C.'s hospitals, schools, roads and property prices. While prices may be down, a, a, a bad bullet in Hong Kong may trigger a sudden migration of the millionaire class to safety to Canada. Vancouver's high-end property market would see another spike up. Curland is calling on Canada's politicians to start planning now, saying an emergency plan for mass arrivals may be necessary, as it was in the mid-90s when 16,000 people moved to B.C. from Hong Kong before the British handover to China. Hong Kong, a city of uncertainty yet again, with fears Beijing is tightening its grip and could use the extradition bill to crack down on its political enemies. The world is watching China. The world is watching Hong Kong. I think this is a big challenge for Hong Kong people if this law is passed. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A Kelowna man is facing possible charges tonight after a long standoff with police that forced many neighbors out of their homes and forced others to hide inside their homes for safety. Global's Claudia Van Emmerich reports. A dramatic and terrifying scene in a Kelowna neighborhood near the Lake Country border Wednesday evening as police and the SWAT team surrounded a mobile home park. I can't get home. My door is open. My phone's there. I got nothing. I could be here for days. A police standoff involving a resident in the Winfield Mobile Home Park on Beaver Lake Road had blocked off access to residents trying to return home. 
Many who were home at the time were evacuated from their units, but for some, like Darlene Swaby, who lives right across the home at the center of the standoff, it was simply too risky to even attempt an evacuation. I got a phone call from the police saying to stay inside and uh, to get to the back of the house so that we weren't in jeopardy. While police would not say what brought them out to the home in the first place, their investigation led officers to believe the man holed up inside may have access to weapons. They increasingly became concerned for his well-being and of course the safety of, uh, of his neighbours and, and the general public. The 68-year-old man refused to come out, triggering the lengthy standoff that went well into the late night hours as police negotiators tried to get the man to surrender. During the standoff, the man made two phone calls to Global News wanting to know what's going on and demanding our crew come closer to his home to capture it all on camera. We directed him to the police. Residents report hearing loud bangs during the standoff. That was the sound of tear gas being used to get the man out. Most of his windows were smashed as a result. The man was apprehended shortly after with help of a police services dog. He remains uh, at the hospital at this time, uh, on, uh, undergoing further ongoing assessment. While RCMP assess if and what charges may be laid. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. A West Kelowna man is going to prison after pleading guilty to hiring a hitman to harm a former friend. Brent Farrell was charged last year with conspiring to commit an assault after he hired a hitman to attack Avery Haynes. The court heard how Farrell and Haynes were part of a spiritual group led by a West Kelowna woman who has since passed away. The Crown said Farrell wanted to cause serious injury to Haynes because the two were at odds over control of the woman's estate. Now, the attack never took place, but the judge sentenced Farrell to two years less a day in jail, plus 18 months probation. International tension in the Middle East is ratcheting up tonight after attacks on two oil tankers near the Persian Gulf. The U.S. blames Iran for the attacks. Iran denies responsibility and says its Navy rescued crew members from both vessels. Washington, D.C. is still buzzing tonight about Donald Trump's latest comments that he would probably accept damaging intelligence from a foreign entity about a political opponent. Predictably, Democrats are expressing outrage. Republicans, with a few exceptions, are mostly remaining silent. Tonight, after the president's stunning statement, a scathing response from outraged Democrats. The president gave us once again evidence that he does not know right from wrong. That to me is outrageous. All after the president said this when asked whether he would accept information about his 2020 opponent from a foreign power or call the FBI. It's not an interference. They have information. I think I'd take it. If I thought there was something wrong, I'd go maybe to the FBI. But his own FBI director was clear when he said last month his agency would want to know if a campaign were contacted by a foreign entity under any circumstance. The FBI director is wrong. The president defending himself today, noting he recently met with the Queen and Prince of Wales. Should I immediately call the FBI about these calls and meetings? How ridiculous. Most Republicans silent. Only a few had stern words. It would strike at the very heart of our democracy. Yeah, I think it's a mistake. I think I think it's a mistake of law. 
federal law makes it illegal for a foreign national to make a direct or indirect contribution of money or other thing of value to a campaign. The question, is dirt on an opponent a thing of value? Tonight, Democrats pushing for clearer laws on interference as House Speaker Nancy Pelosi pushed back against mounting calls to start impeachment proceedings. What we want to do is have a methodical approach. Meanwhile, tonight, a federal watchdog agency is calling for the president's top advisor, Kellyanne Conway, to be fired, saying her frequent attacks against Democrats violate a law that bars federal employees from engaging in politics. The White House calling that decision deeply flawed. And one of Donald Trump's most visible supporters is moving on. The White House has announced Press Secretary Sarah Sanders will be leaving at the end of the month. Trump is urging Sanders to run for governor of Arkansas, a job her father once had. Sanders' tenure has been marked by the end of regular press briefings and controversy over the Trump administration's credibility and her own. Actor Cuba Gooding Jr. is now facing criminal charges after a woman claims he groped her in a nightclub. Cuba, what do you see to your fans? Cuba, anything you want to say? That's the actor being led away in handcuffs from New York police headquarters today after turning himself in with his lawyer this morning. A woman says the Oscar winner grabbed her breasts in a bar on Sunday. Gooding's lawyer says he's innocent and security video will prove he did nothing wrong. For the first time since she was acquitted of murder eight years ago, American Amanda Knox is back in Italy. But not everyone is happy about it. Knox will be part of a panel discussion on wrongful convictions. Back in 2007, she was found guilty of the murder of her fellow student, Meredith Kircher, a conviction that was overturned by Italy's highest court four years later. Knox says she's in Italy to heal. But Meredith Kircher's family says her visit is inappropriate and unnecessary. In Health Matters tonight, another measles alert from the BC Centre for Disease Control for people who passed through Vancouver International Airport on Sunday. Officials say a passenger who was sick with the measles arrived in Vancouver June 9th, just before 11 a.m. on a flight from Beijing, passed through Customs and Immigration, and then flew out of YVR to Regina at 2 p.m. Anyone on either of those flights or who passed through Canada Customs and Immigration at that time could have been exposed to measles and should see a doctor. You can find more detailed information on our website, globalnews.ca slash bc. Actress Jessica Biel is scrambling to clarify her stance on vaccinations after being described as an anti-vaxxer online. The 37-year-old actress and wife of singer Justin Timberlake drew criticism after siding with vaccination skeptic Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in opposing a California bill. That law would limit medical exemptions from vaccinations. Biel posted on Instagram this morning that she supports children being vaccinated, but also supports supports families having the right to make educated medical decisions for their children alongside their physicians. The B.C. government is facing renewed pressure tonight over its treatment of a little girl with a rare disease. Three-year-old Charlie is one of only 13 children in Canada with Batten disease. It's a disorder that causes a multitude of painful and debilitating symptoms. But while other children are already getting access to treatment, Charlie is still waiting Sarah McDonald reports. Charlie was born, by all accounts, a perfectly healthy baby. 
Charlie was born July 2nd, 2015. Until the symptoms of something first started two years ago, initially leaving the Vancouver Island toddler's parents and her doctors at a loss. Nine months ago, she started having seizures, and that's when we really knew something was wrong with her, and we've just got this diagnosis now. That diagnosis and its prognosis delivering a devastating blow, putting Charlie among only 13 children in the country with a remarkably rare and incurable genetic disorder called CLN2 Batten disease. The child will lose their vision, their ability to walk, to talk, swallow, and it will end up taking your cognitive abilities, dementia, and premature death. And Charlie is already rapidly regressing, her condition stealing more and more from her on a near daily basis. It's a really horrible disease for for a kid to have or family to go through. There is treatment that could slow or halt that process. A unique enzyme replacement therapy available in other provinces, but not ours. Something that it's very time sensitive. So the sooner that we can get this treatment, the sooner that we can get our daughter at a level plane of life. Funding of roughly a million dollars annually is still pending approval. The Ministry of Health says Charlie's case is now before an independent committee for review. The longer Charlie waits, the less chance she has of this drug helping her. Which is why her family is now going public with their battle. The time is not on our side, unfortunately, in this moment. In a bid to get funding for Charlie fast-tracked in their race against time. Sarah McDonald, Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Some extreme weather in India brought air travel to a standstill. A dust storm blanketed India's capital city last night, forcing flights in and out of New Delhi to be diverted. The city was already suffering through a heat wave before the storm hit. But thankfully, rain later brought the temperatures and the dust down. A surprising discovery in a California storm drain that sparked a call to firefighters. That's right after the forecast. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at the forecast and the record-breaking heat that we continue to have. Christy? Yes, so this is third day in a row we've had record-breaking conditions. Yesterday we broke 20 across the province. Today likely about eight. Here's the top four that I was able to find. Kelowna hitting close to 35 degrees, but you'll notice a lot of the heat or the record-breaking conditions are in the interior. Now there's one, Port Alberni. You were the only one across the south coast that I've been able to find that broke a record, but there's the heat heat in the low to mid 30s uh, in the interior and Kootenai region, whereas coastal regions were in the 20s today, although the Fraser Valley did heat up to about 27, 28 degrees, but a much more comfortable today and tomorrow we're going to continue to slide. There's been a lot of action across uh, BC and Alberta in terms of thunderstorms. Look at some of the photos that are coming out of Calgary. This is a hail shaft, intense hail there. We are still waiting to find out uh, if there's been any damage from that hail, but we also had hail in our province because there's the action near Calgary and it extended all the way down into our region right near Fernie spreading up into Sparwood. We did have at two points today severe thunderstorm warnings in effect all along Highway 3 intense hail. Look at some of the photos that are coming out of Fernie with that hail. Um, we had reports that we could see toonie size hail but it was as you can see here it's more like pea size or maybe dime size. Thanks to Sandra for these great shots. A lot of hail 
hail coming down and intense rain and also gusty winds from those storms. Now, in terms of the severe thunderstorms now, we have a watch still in place for the north and south Thompson area as well as the Shushwap. A number of lightning strikes as well through that area, and that's been a big concern. 16 new fires in the last 24 hours, half of those because of lightning, half of them because of people, but a lot of action creates a not great conditions when it comes to the forest fire uh, potential. For tomorrow, things will settle down. We still have a risk of thunderstorms in the BC Peace River area and in Vailmont and Cranbrook, but most other areas should just be sunny and a little bit more settled. For our region, expect it to be cloudier and cool in through the morning period tomorrow, mainly sunny by the afternoon, but much more comfortable for temperatures, staying sunny and warm right through the weekend. Sophie. All right. Looks good. Thanks very much, Christy. A California woman who almost hit a deer standing on the road got a big surprise when she stopped to make sure it was okay. From the bottom of a storm drain came the pathetic cries of a fawn that had somehow fallen through a narrow gap. A wildlife rescue team and firefighters were called in as the doe stood by and watched for her baby. one. After a quick check to make sure it wasn't injured, the fawn was released for a happy reunion with its mother. It's just we. I was wondering how it got in, in there, but now that you see how tiny yeah. it is, it makes sense. It just sort of slips through the cracks there. It's so skinny. I don't know. Anytime I see someone looking into a drain, it reminds me of that movie It. Oh, don't yeah. Don't look in the drain, whatever you do. <laughs> well, that's just creepy. But in this case, but you should have looked. Cute. But this case, it worked out. A live shot of Jurassic Park. Wow, it's silent right now. Toronto. <laughs> Commercial break. Very weird. Toronto Raptors fans out in full force hoping to cheer oh, that one on their dude's excited. team to victory tonight. No, oh, they oh, realize the on camera's him. on him now. Something's happening. Once it oh, starts, once it starts chair, spreading, Sophie Louie's watching them. They'll go nuts. The Raptors, of course, taking on Golden State in Game 6 of the NBA Finals. They're in Oakland tonight with a win tonight. The Raptors can bring home the hardware and give these fans what they've been waiting for. Sarah McLaughlin, of course, singing Oh Canada. I think my favorite one was when they let the crowd sing it before Game 5. That is the best way to That's do it. As, um, but I don't think the Mark fans Donald in knows. Oakland would have known all the words. Good point. Good point. Okay. So here we go. Uh, with St. Louis winning the Stanley Cup last night, now the Canucks and the Buffalo Sabres are the oldest NHL teams without Stanley Cup wins. But in their 50 years, the Canucks have certainly been one of the NHL's leaders in uniform and logo changes. And now there's another one. But I like this one. The Vancouver, over there, across the chest is gone. And I was never quite sure why we needed that. Everyone knew what city the Canucks were from. Uh, this year, the Canucks will also wear a new design on their original uniforms. They'll wear those ten times, the old skate uniform three times. Maybe it's getting confusing, so let's just take a look at the new uniforms. Or the new old uniforms, if you like. See? No Vancouver across it. I think that's better. I, I, it's I think it's way better. I don't know about the 50. The well, 50 seems big, though. Yeah, it's a little large. But, you and know. it looks like a so as opposed to a 50. Like, <laughs> so? So it's 50 years. So what? Yeah. Anyway, those are the two regular uniforms. And then this, they changed the, see, they kind of changed the stick design a little bit. And because it's like a C now, right? More the so, green yeah, part more obvious, it. yeah. So no, or none of the Vs, the orange? No, I don't see, no, no, we don't need that. No, I like need, that. I know, but I'm sorry, we're not doing that. We're not doing that But one. we're bringing back the skate again. Well, yes, for only a couple of games. Uh, this is how it looked last night in St. Louis when the Blues won the Stanley Cup, their first ever. And of course, it's a remarkable story. Worst team in the NHL on New Year's Day, best after it 
No riots, so people did jump on some cars. Look at Boston. No riots in Boston. Mind you, that city has won so many championships uh, this century. They don't need to ride over a loss. And the Blues returned after the game with the Stanley with Cup. Yes, and a belt around waist. their waist. Like, it's like a championship belt. And they'll have the parade Saturday afternoon in St. Louis. BC Lions start their regular season Saturday night at BC Place against Winnipeg. Tomorrow afternoon, though, the Vancouver Canadians start their season. It'll be a 1 o'clock game at Nat Bailey. Uh, the C's are unique in these short season single A because these young players get to start their career in a big city rather than some small town where the fanciest restaurant is a place called Eats. Minor league baseball is not supposed to be glamorous. Sure, these young men are realizing a dream of playing pro baseball, but for the most part, those dreams start in small American towns with tattered stadiums and very few fans. But those who are lucky enough to get their pro start in Vancouver are in for a pleasant surprise. Most of these guys were in um, the Gulf Coast League last year um, where nobody goes to watch the games. Um, you know, been through spring training, nobody's there. Extended spring training, nobody's there. So, I mean, if you can't get excited with 6,000 people in the stands, you probably need to find something else to do. Grayson Huffman knows all about the atmosphere and charms of the Nat. He pitched here for two seasons in 2016 and 2017. So he's been the tour guide for the curious newcomers. Guys on the bus be like, Oh, I heard it's sold out or whatever for the next two weeks, and I'm just, I'm just like, yeah, it'll, it'll be fun. It gets, there's a little bit of a roar, you know, when, when you get a strikeout with a runner on third, two outs, or a home run or something like that. It's a bit of a roar. Being a young guy and being able to come out here and kind of set the tone for the season, really, for, for, you know, a sold-out crowd is, it get, I mean, I've been butterflies about it for a week now. They all get to experience it for real in the season opener Friday afternoon at Nat Bailey. Yay, here's a different ball game. It's golf. Brooks Kepka. I know. Look at this. Pebble Beach, U.S. Open. He's won the last two U.S. Opens. Keeps doing this. He'll win a third. Uh, minus two after 18 holes. That's three off the lead. One of the leaders is Ricky Fowler. This is on um, 17, no, 15, 15th. That's uh, close enough for a birdie putt. Ideas, they look at that first and put it in their pocket. This putt to get to three under par. Rory McIlroy, who won the Canadian Open. Good birdie putt there, he's at three under par. Rory Sabatini on the 12th, he's plus one, but he did have a one. And this is it. Bounce, bounce, in. And what about Tiger? He's been saving his bacon with a lot of long putts today. Had a double bogey and a par three. He's at minus one with two holes to go. All right, Raptors. The better you control and the Game six. Win. And you get the title. Kyle Lowry, three-pointer. And that was the difference in game five, the three-pointer. Golden State made a ton. Toronto didn't make enough. Pascal Siakam, three-pointer. Fred Van Vliet, Trey. And Toronto's up by five in the second quarter. CFL began tonight. Not a big crowd in Hamilton. I think they're all home watching the Raptors. So, what did they miss? Frankie Williams going 68 yards with a touchdown against Saskatchewan. 
Uh, Solomon Alamimian is not in this game. Neither is former Lion Manny Arsenault. They are both hurt. 23-16 Hamilton in the fourth. Coming up on ET Canada, Bieber versus Cruz. Will it happen? We hear from the Biebs today. Plus, Samuel L. Jackson talks shaft, past, present, and future. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Sophie. All right. Thanks very much, Cheryl. Let's check in one more time with Jurassic Park just before we get to our next story. Silence. They're on the edge of their seats, except they're not sitting down. No, they're never going to sit down. Uh, Because it's wet also right now. 43-42, is that what it is? For the Raptors right now. 43-42, so they're going to be on the edge of the seat. Oh, my goodness me. We'll check on it again. That's the way basketball goes. It's a very ebb and flow game. You think you're hot, and then you're not hot, then the other team gets hot, and it's... And the last two minutes takes, like... 20. Yes, and it's right. usually one point apart. Okay, tomorrow is World Blood Donor Day, where we celebrate giving the gift of life. In Vancouver today, an emotional meeting between a little girl who is alive because of donors and a man with an astonishing record of donating. Linda Aylesworth has their story. It isn't Sophie's birthday, <laughs> but it's a special day all the same. How is it, Sophie? This is National Blood Donor Week, a time to raise awareness about the importance of rolling up your sleeve and giving blood. Because of the generosity of volunteers like these, Sophie is alive today. Blood donation is really important to us because Sophie was diagnosed with leukemia a year and a half ago. Um, and we lived with her at BC Children's Hospital for five months. Thank you for giving me blood. Sophie was just 13 months old when she suddenly became ill, requiring dozens of blood transfusions and other blood products. It's because of donors who are so generous with their um, donations of themselves, essentially, that kids like Sophie have even a fighting chance. John Lee might very well have been one of Sophie's donors. He's given 403 times. But when it comes to meeting recipients, this is a first. The process of donating blood is, is kind of clinical. You're removed from the recipients. To see somebody that it goes to is very, very special. It's relationships like this that caused us to launch our recent Reasons campaign. And what that Reasons campaign does is it gives people an opportunity to share their story. Blood.ca slash reasons is how donors and recipients can share their stories. It's a way to connect and encourage others to become donors. With only 4% of the population giving blood, we need more. Donors overall are just getting older. And so what we're looking to do is bring new donors into the system. It's very simple for me to do. Um, I don't miss it and I know other people need it. It's a perfect exchange. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well done. Mm-hmm. 400 times. That's incredible. Okay, just before we check in with Jurassic Park again, you have warnings. Yes, I was hoping to show you. So we just had a severe thunderstorm warning issued for Hosmer area, which is just north of Fernie along Highway 3, but it looks like it just ended just in the last maybe one or two minutes here. Uh, The storm, though, brought a lot of rain, uh, intense rain, and actually quite a bit of hail to the area, but it has weakened and looks like there's no more red on that map. So the warning has ended, so that's good. But that's the third warning that we had today with uh, severe thunderstorms in that exact same area, sort of Fernie Hosmer area. That time of year. Mm-hmm. Okay, should we take a look? Again, quiet. Timeout, maybe, Squire? Uh, well, I don't oh, know. Oh, that'll be Or yeah. a blackout. Uh, 44 to 43 for Golden State now as Jurassic Park. Long way to go. Fans hang out. Long way to or- go. Pour them for the weather. Just don't run. Hopefully they'll have a good outcome. 
That's all the time we have tonight. Go Raptors. Have a good night, everyone.